Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Pals, welcome back to another amazing, no pressure, episode of Shared History Under the Kilt. This, this has to be the last one. We're out of history. Scotland's not that old. This is going to be the last episode about Scottish history ever created, right? See, no, well, see that's why we started it, so you realise that that's not true. Oh. <laughs> we could probably have about 900 seasons and still have loads of left to speak about. Oh, okay. Well, I have time. So that's cool with me. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm Adam McNamara. And I'm Natalie Younger. <laughs> and uh, this is your go-to podcast for all the Scottish history that you have wanted to find out about. Stuff that's been brushed under the carpet. Stuff you didn't know about. you needed to know. Yeah. And then you go, what? What? No. And then you can look real smart at pub quizzes and parties. Yeah, like us. That's basically this is why we're doing it. So pub quiz, <laughs> Scottish history pub quiz questions are a lot easier. It's a real niche uh, theme for America for an American trivia night to just be Scottish history. Yeah. Oh my good, you, you'll know loads. You'll the only pub loads. quiz I ever won was uh, we walked into in Vancouver, and it was because it was all Marvel, and all of us were like, with our powers combined, we've got this. Uh, and uh, and, we, and I won a Spider-Man coloring book and a well, gift certificate to the when bar that we were at. This when was, was this? This was like two, three years ago. And you won a coloring book. And a gift certificate for the bar that we were at, which we then immediately oh. had to use because we were leaving town the next day. <laughs> nice. It's, so we paid for our dinner with pointless knowledge. That's what I'm saying you can do. You can pay for your drinks when on pub quiz night with all the beautiful, useless, but interesting knowledge that we're about to bestow upon you. Well, I mean, and, and you know what's really weird, though, I find is like um, uh, the Americans, like I, I remember working in America, sometimes they hang about the, the, the stage door and they'll be asking what clan you're from, like Americans. And you're like, how do you even know what clan you're from? Because... I don't. <laughs> and they tell and they tell you like, oh yeah, we're like from the clan McLeod. And you're like, mm-hmm, are you? <laughs> they just decided that that, that uh, tartan looks best on them. <laughs> I mean, the, there's, there's a lot of banging tartans, let's be, let's be honest. I mean, my, my color is plaid. So that's my best color is just plaid and denim. Uh, shall we get started? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that confused me because I'm like, there's so many tartans. I mean, what do you mean? Just but... all of them. <laughs> so, Natalie. Yeah. What's under the kilt today? Very glad you asked. It's a very cute friend under the kilt today. It's Seems the beloved this. character of Jock, the Scottish terrier from Lady and the Tramp. Right. I had to look up if he had a name. Really <laughs> thought that. Really thought that his name was probably just Scotty. 
because we're very we're very uh, creative. So, so let me let me let me let me see where this is going. Like every episode, you've always got some kind of inanimate object. Now it's animals. I mean, there's then, been a unicorn under there too. Okay, that's not real though. And uh, how dare you? <laughs> it's just a skinny rhino. <laughs> Skinny, long-legged rhino. Yeah. And, and what, so we're going to go into, like, you know, engineers from the Enterprise soon? Is he going to I be mean, under there? I mean, beam me up. <laughs> I'll, start, I'll show myself out. Uh, is that not what's under the kilt? That's not what's under the kilt. I'll All let right. you know. I don't even know why I ask you. Uh, because you like my answers? That, and that, one of these days I'll be that's right? It. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's good. <laughs> Fine, tell us what's under the kilt, Adam Today we have uh, a very experienced actor um, I thought you were going to say film. someone very experienced under the kilt <laughs> Who knows, maybe he is We can <laughs> ask him uh, a, a very experienced actor and uh, producer in film and theatre um, Several businesses as well, including... Um, a uh, production company, Western Edge Pictures, a food business, which I have attended and got some very lovely vegan food from. Um, uh, we should we can talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> he is a father of four boys, so uh, clearly he needs some kind of award. And I think being on this podcast is that reward. Come on down. <laughs> also, with all that, he is also involved with delivering creative projects in Scottish prisons and helping young offenders get involved with drama, which is very worthwhile. So everyone, without further ado, we have Adam Robertson on the show. Adam, welcome. Hello. Thanks for Hello. having me. Thanks for sitting there politely smiling through our dribble. Through your banter, <laughs> just enjoying every moment, every syllable. It's gorgeous. It's a very nice little chemistry there. <laughs> we like to remind each other that we like each other before we get started. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just in case you forget case. quite quickly. I mean, into it. Yeah, well, there was, a, there was an episode that Kathleen was producing, uh, editing together uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she texted she text me and said, you and Nat really kind of go, like, you sound like you're really go going for each other. Like, we're really snippy with each other. And I was like, really? <laughs> I must have caught, caught right up in that episode. Yeah. Like, are you two married, maybe? I thought, you know. Yep. Oh, you heard it here met. first, guys. <laughs> We've, uh, we got married through a screen. Uh, yeah. I, I t I've told Adam this before. Um, I, plan on, I, I plan on getting in a fist fight with him when we finally meet. And he, <laughs> I think he thinks I'm joking. Well, I mean, I've seen her Instagram uh, stories of her like doing kickboxing and boxing, and there's absolutely no way that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm training. I'm training for our big boss battle. So, anyway, Adam, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. I'm. Uh, I'm happy to finally be living in what feels like a version of normal that we once new you know uh -huh. there's physical interaction now i'm back some of my work is a uh, you know workshop based and, and kind of teaching based and i'm now still online a lot like this looking into a screen but yeah. uh, i'm now back in a room with human beings again and it's it's a very lovely feeling it, it, is, it is lovely isn't it because you've been working as, on a film haven't you you've been doing that as well 
I've been filming. I've been. I've just finished directing another short film um, that we managed to do at the tail end of COVID, mm-hmm. and that was good. But it was still lots of protocols in place, and you know, two meters apart, and yeah. doing your own makeup and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but this now, where we're at, is you know, like I was in a room the other day with twelve people, you know, yeah. twelve people, uh, and that felt weird. <laughs> Just, yeah, because you kind of feel a little bit on edge as well. Because like I'm, I'm, I'm currently rehearsing a cast, uh, uh, with a cast of I think there's about seventeen of us, and uh, what do lateral flow tests every day and PCR tests twice a week, and it, is, it does kind of feel like this is amazing, but also it also feels really risky. <laughs> ah, it's funny that, isn't it? How quick, in relative terms, how quick it, it has been for us to adjust to that and for mm-hmm. that being in a what is the most natural thing in the world to be in a room full of other human beings yeah uh, for that to feel slightly odd odd yeah <laughs> but so i'm very well very happy to be uh, back in a, in a in a new version of normal and getting on with life excellent back in some semi-precedented times yeah <laughs> it's good yeah i'm good uh been getting out in nature a lot lately which is lovely getting up some mountains getting in the sea yeah so i'm i'm very grateful where are you joining us from? So I'm in Glasgow. Got it. But it is not where I am from. You'll hear where I'm from the north, a place called Thurzo. As far north as you can go. The most <laughs> northerly town in Great Britain. Um, who put the great there? I don't know. Probably not a Scottish person, I would guess. <laughs> Mediocre Britain was one of the ideas that was floated. Yeah. <laughs> But didn't we discuss this that we're like, we're pretty sure the great came about once Scotland was brought into the fold. So maybe Scotland brought the great. Brought the great, yeah. I'll go That's with that. A, I'll go with that too. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm from the most northerly town in the ancient kingdom of Scotland. Uh, the ancient country of Scotland. Um, and uh, yeah, and the island known as Great Britain. Uh, but I'm in Glasgow now. Yeah, I lived in London for 15 years, which was way too much. Like I do a lot of work in prisons, and I I, I work in a particular prison that uh, is mostly people in for life. And I fa- I say, well, I can relate to you. I lived in London for 15 years. <laughs> Woof. Yeah, it's a stretch. And what do they say to that? They go, is that really the same? Well, if, no, but for a boy from Thurzo, from like a population of 10,000 to suddenly go to a, a, a city that has twice the population of the entire country of Scotland, yeah. it's very, it was quite a contrast, I have to say. It is. I mean, it is, it is a shock to the system being in London. I, I was here for eight years. I'm now, I'm now working down here again, but only till November. And then, um, but it, it, it is, it, it's just so intense it is it's that pressure like after 15 years you know it was but towards the end i i just felt this oppressiveness like you know i needed wild space the yeah. fact that lasted that long and i was getting away I, i'm always roving i'm always heading down to coasts and stuff but you know there's in england you know there's no wild space really there's country and some really beautiful country but wild space yeah. It's very hard to find. Whereas in Glasgow, I can be in wild space in half an hour. Yeah. You know, truly wild, untamed. Yeah. I can be in a cornfield in half an hour. So <laughs> I could just be walking through some corn or some soy. That's about it. That's, well, <laughs> or I can be in the middle of a lake. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather be there than in Piccadilly Circus. I'll tell you that. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so add, uh, uh, oh, add, oh, there's two two Adams. I mean, I don't know oh, how yes. you're going to cope with this and that, but um, panic. <laughs> uh, Adam, you are from Thurzo. You said, mm-hmm. uh, "What's it like? What did you get up to uh, growing up down uh, around that end of the end of the country?" So Thurzo is a small town, and the town itself is not very pretty. It is surrounded by majesty. It's beautiful. It's a truly wild, remote part of the world. I suppose if you wanted a comparison for the kind of landscape we're talking about, uh, for maybe some of your listeners like Canada or, you know, parts of Alaska, I mean, it's very, very empty. Yeah. But the, the skies and the coast are beautiful. And I was very lucky to grow up. I suppose I only realised how lucky I was years later, having left it, having spent 15 years in London, I (laughs) realised, wow, how amazing was it? I grew up in a place where I could be out of the house, even as a young boy, from morning until night, literally from sun up to sundown. And nobody worried about where we were. It was a safe kind of environment. Yeah, it's just a big, beautiful wild space you know Excellent. mountains lochs seabird covered cliffs and that take your breath away lovely lots of wildlife whales dolphins yeah you're, a, you're into surfing aren't you did you did you start surfing in thurzo then so i did start surfing in thurzo when i was 12 uh-huh. and i got right into it i was amazed that i was skateboarding as a kid um, I was a troublemaker, you know, I was in a lot of trouble, as, uh, which is why, or part of the reason that I've found myself working in prisons with young offenders today. Uh, I was at a children's panel three times, I was almost put in a home, I left school at 15. But surfing was a kind of saviour for me in a sanctuary, uh, yeah. and I was amazed to find, because when you're little and you're growing up in a place like Thursday, you just think it's a shite hole, you know, <laughs> you just want to get as far away from it as possible. You hate everything about it, you hate everybody that lives there, you know, and then I discovered surfing and how, and I met people from other parts of the world who traveled to this fabled place because apparently I had good surf, which blew me away that there was anything good in Thurzo. But as I discovered, the surf was incredible. And so I got into that, despite almost drowning on my first day, I got washed out to sea on my first day surfing. Never took me off though. Never no. put me off. I, I loved it and I got into it and um, I still surf. I was surfing the other day down in Macrahanish on the west coast and um, I got really into it. I, was, I ended up being in the Scottish team. I was Scottish junior champion when I was a wee, wee, <laughs> okay. wee wane. And it was my way of getting out. It was the first time I ever went on a plane was with the Scottish team. So it was a real saviour in many ways, spiritually and emotionally and, and physically. Geographically, it got me out of that wee town yeah. uh, and opened my eyes and... Yeah. Do you still do you still go back home to Thurso and surf whenever you're there? Yeah, my my mom and my dad are still there. They're long, long divorced, but they're still up there. And I do turn up, and every time I do, my mum's like, "Oh, is the surf good, Adam?" <laughs> no, mum, I've come to see you. It just so happens that there's <laughs> good surf as well. <laughs> you know. But yes, I do. I go back. Um, I go. Not as often as I'd like to. Uh, My dad's not that well, so I do tend to go back checking him. But I do. It's a six-hour drive up the A9, up the you know, uh, to to Thurzo. It's a beautiful drive, but I, I, yeah, it's it's taxing. (laughs) Takes it out of you. Yeah. Uh, Top. What would be like your your top three surf spots in Scotland? 
Well, Thurzo is number one. I mean, it's a world-class wave and it, uh, it's had, you know, world qualifying competitions held on it. So that's got to be number one. There is a beach to the west of Thurzo called um, Torresdale Bay that's beautiful. Just this big, vast expanse of white sand. And in the summer, I've had some amazing surfs there. So I've got a soft spot for Torresdale. And then on the east coast of the north, the northeast coast, there's a place called Freswick Castle, which is a stunning castle. And there's a break beside that called Skirza, S-K-I-R-Z-A, Skirza Point. And it's mythical. I've only surfed it three times in my life. In my 35 years of surfing, I've surfed it three times. Uh, and you just got the stars have to align in a particular way you know, to get that wave. And so I keep, I have dreams about that wave. I mean, one day I'm going to get, before I'm too old to surf, before my, my joints finally get cave in, I am going to surf Skirza again. But those three breaks up there, Thurzo, Torsdale and Skirza, yeah. Can you really surf further south in Scotland or is not really? So yeah, you surf all, I mean, Scotland's littered with waves. Litter the whole north coast, the whole east coast, and the west coast, like the Western Isles. It Lewis, just so happens that all of the best, the best breaks are up, uh, up north. Up north, well, that's where it's obviously you know because the swell travels down from Iceland, really, basically. When you've got low pressures to the kind of northeast of Iceland, it funnels waves straight down into the north coast. The east coast, you've obviously got you know the Netherlands and what have you, Norway and stuff. So it's harder for waves to get down the East Coast. And the West Coast, we've got the islands. But the North Coast is, uh, is a gift. But it's not like over where you are, Natalie, or where you used to be in LA. I blew me away when I was there and I realised people just turn up at the beach in LA. They just turn up, like, because there'll always be waves. And I learned about the... Swiss, uh, this is a podcast not about surfing, but I, you have <laughs> got me started now. But yeah. that coastline in LA is from 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock. So the swell can reach it from the south, the west and the north. So there's just always waves. Whereas Thurzo is really tricky. It's got a, a swell window, if you think of a clock face, from kind of 11 o'clock to 2 o'clock. So only winter. That's why it's mental. You know, you, summer, it's pretty much flat. And then yeah. in the winter, when it's brutal and cold, that's when the swells come in. You gotta here's here's the thing: it tests your commitment to surfing because you gotta you gotta <laughs> fucking want it. Like yeah, you have I to be committed it. to it. Yeah, if you're gonna get changed in a car park while it's hailstoning, <laughs> we are we are tadger out. Uh, you've got to be committed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, surfing is something that I've always wanted to try, but I've just freak the fuck out when I'm in the sea. <laughs> I just, I, even just thinking about it now, I'm like, fucking hell. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, it is, it's an amazing thing, and I do love it. I was, you know, and I still go to great lengths. Now that I live in Glasgow, I'm an hour and a half's drive from my closest surfing break, which is on the east coast, past Dunbar. Uh, there's a break, break called Pease Bay. But the other day on Tuesday, I literally drove, did a six-hour round trip to surf Macrahanish in one day. Wow. That's you have, devotion. You have yeah. to want it. You do. You have to want it. It's a... Uh, yeah, it's an amazing... Once you have that bug and it's in you... For me, it is a spiritual thing. It's zen. Like, when you're in the sea and you do catch a wave, you forget about everything else. For that mm -hmm. moment, that flow experience... Yeah. Nothing else exists. And that's precious in life. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know? No bills, no no 
responsibilities, no tension, no nothing. Just for a few seconds on that wave, nothing else exists. Yeah. You almost make me want to try surfing, but I am 31 <laughs> years old and I just purchased a skateboard. So we'll, that's the, <laughs> that's the only the irresponsible decision that I'll be making at this time. Well, you know, when you fall off a skateboard, it hurts. When you fall off a surfboard, it's soft. You're falling into the water. I mean, I have a habit of uh, just getting swept under and any, <laughs> any current at all. I just, but I just handle it by just ragdolling and then popping up a minute later and being like, I can't, I couldn't use any of my body parts for a moment there. <laughs> the sea is a powerful foe. Is there anything else that like, what else is like Thurso? Is Thurso known for anything outside of, of surfing or is there any like fun history in the area? Well, Thurso is, it used to be a big herring port. Um, so in Neil Gunn's The Silver Darlings, he talks about Thurso and Wick and uh, the herring was a big part of Thurso. But once the herring uh, left uh, and vanished, the saviour or perceived saviour of Thurso was uh, Dunray, which is very controversial, atomic energy plant plonked on the top of Scotland because, well, you know, if it blows to high, you know, high heaven, ah, it's only a few Highlanders yeah. that get murdered and lost, you know, so it's very controversial and it was sold to the local population as a, a way of, they were going to get, this was back in the 50s, they were going to get cheap energy. Uh, it'd be a great employer uh, and they would get cheap energy and as an a, a old friend of mine uh, a friend of my dad's used to say, Ach, there's got to be better ways to boil a kettle. It was a toxic kind of, and it's a blight on the landscape up there. You know, it's a, you may have seen photos of it. It's like a huge golf ball, like yeah. a, the, the reactor, the, the re reactor up there. And yeah, I've got friends who work there and I worked there for my, myself for a wee while when I was, when I was wee, when I was little, uh, when I was kind of 16, I was working out there. And it's employed thousands of people, but it's a tremendous waste of space you know now there's three thousand people employed there i suppose in its heyday there was maybe ten thousand employed mm -hmm. and now there's like three thousand and they've been there and they'll be there for another 20 years and all they are doing is decommissioning it i mean how wasteful yeah. so when i drive past there with the kids and they go hey daddy what's that big golf ball and i say well that is the biggest waste of space and money you'll see because that's now 20 years of people employed to stop something working yeah. Something that didn't work that well in the first yeah. place, and there's now 15 years of work stopping it working, which basically means you know there's radioactive stuff. Yeah. But it was plutonium. It was you know the the the, the real truth of it. It was the United Kingdom Atomic Energy Authority, and so it was. Uh, they were. It wasn't just about energy. It was about producing plutonium. So. Wow. Yeah. It was. Uh, so that's what Thurzo was kind of known for, really. You know. Waves and nuclear energy. Waves and radioactivity, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's on the North Coast 500 now, and so it gets a lot of, you know, people venture there. It's 20 miles west of John O'Groats. So anybody who does John O'Groats to Land's End or goes to see the most northerly point, which is Dunnet Head, and, and John O'Groats is the first house, they'll often visit Thurzo because it's next door. You know, it's, it's a part of Scotland that I've never really experienced. And I want to do the NC500. I'd like to maybe get out a wee van and go on a wee trip with the kids. Just oh, do it. All around there. And, it uh, is yeah. amazing. I did that a few years ago. I did a, a motorhome. Uh, it was 2013 and I did the, uh, I bought an island hopper on Cal Mac ferries and I did, I did all the Hebrides 
with them, and oh, nice. they still talk about that. They go, that was the best holiday we ever went on. See, that's what you, you know. Want. Went Barra to Eriskay, South Uis, North Uis, over to Harris, then to Skye, then over to Lewis, then over to Ullapool, and then we drove up the West Coast to Cape Wrath, and then along to Thurzo. That's amazing. Amazing country that we live in. I know. And we just take it for granted. Oh, you know, and it's so important. I suppose maybe that's one good thing to come out of lockdown is people have been exploring more. Very also, true. people have been taking the piss more, which is a shame, you know, and not respecting the environment, you know. That's right. The NC500 has been, been left a mess. Yeah. But that's the minority, not the majority. But there's a real, um, I think, process of education that needs to go on. For, mm -hmm. for people and, and infrastructure because the North Coast 500 has been massively popular but the small towns and uh, villages that are on that road aren't maybe cut out you know for mass yeah. like for camper vans and motorhomes and mm -hmm. it's been pretty battered during lockdown while people haven't been able to go on holiday you know yeah but it's I do recommend it it's stunning absolutely stunning I've done that road many many times long before it had a name of North Coast 500 uh, and it never gets boring, never. I'm always, I still now, having driven it, God knows, countless times, too many times to count, I still pull over at the side of the road and go, fuck me, look at that. <laughs> yeah. that look at that. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. All right, let's hit pause for a quick second, because we got to play everyone's favourite game. It's oh. Talking Scots. Yes. It is one of my favorite games. You like this game because you don't have to play, you just get yeah. to mock us. And you know what? I am not into board games and I'm not really into like computer games, but I love watching. So okay. I'm All right, a voyeuristic I'm gonna, I'm gonna, gamer. I was about to make the same joke. <laughs> don't know if he meant to let us into that. Uh, we learned it's a little amazing. bit. Voyeur. <laughs> You know, this, this podcast like is all about learning, and sometimes we just learn a lot about Adam. Yeah. yeah. Our producer, Kathleen, will join me as the, the, the Americans who don't know what's happening. <laughs> Kathleen, please say hello. Hi. Oh, it's just so bashful. Spoken like an American who doesn't know yeah, what's I just, happening. This intro doesn't exactly make me want to be like, what's up, people? This is great. <laughs> Natalie's like, here's here's another idiot to go yeah. talk to. <laughs> Listen, I've been so lonely. Everyone on this podcast Being the only idiot. has a cool accent and <laughs> knows more than you me. Think you have a cool accent. Nobody thinks the American accent is cool. That's all that's, that's all we not true. That's why we grow up yeah. trying to imitate it. Yeah. Yeah. God knows That's why. why when we're kids playing games out in the uh, in the gardens, we are doing American accents. You aren't out in the. I bet you American kids aren't out in their gardens doing Scottish accents. Be amazing. No, they're more yeah. likely doing what they think is, and this is going to irritate ads, a British, <laughs> British accent. British accent. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah. I'll tell you what it almost always is. It's probably Cockney. It's probably <laughs> Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> Is what they're doing. Uh, what games were you playing running around with an English accent? Were you popping? Were you like Red Rover? Red Red Rover, Red Rover. I mean <laughs> terrible. Yes. Chim chimney, chim chimney. There you go. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, this went awry. Okay, yes. So the way that this works is our guest Adam will give us a word of Scots. 
Kathleen and I will definitely know exactly what it means on the first try, and then we can all go home early. So, Adam, what is our word? Sleister. I'm sorry, what? Can you spell that for us, please? Sleister. S-L-A-I-S-T-E-R. Sleister. I think even Adam McNamara doesn't even know this word. I I don't I that's don't. That's two. In a, that's a couple in a row there. Oh, yeah. um, is it ads. is it because is it from like what region is it? Well, I'm just curious. The region. So I was born in Edinburgh, but I moved up to the Highland up to Thursday on the Highlands when I was three. So, but my so my gran, my dad's mum, was from Edinburgh, born and bred, and so when I would go down to Edinburgh, that was the first time she used that word uh, and but I did hear it you I did hear the word used in Thurzo but so I can't I, but I'm pretty sh- I don't know if it was common up there um, but the first place I heard it was down in Edinburgh okay, okay. I just have a guess my because I never have one Natalie so I'm just gonna go out go there for it. it's pro- it's too obvious sounding though but maybe I'm thinking something like like a not a shyster but like a real uh-huh. So and so, like a that, that's what no my one guess can see me doing be. this with my hand, but like yeah, like a real like a shitty, why I oughta like a shyster. <laughs> yeah, a well, like no, well, that's not really the definite, but yeah, like a like um, just a bad apple. I oh okay, well now I don't want to guess the same thing as you, and I was going to basically guess like a like a like a scam artist, like a kind of sneaky yeah, devil. Yeah, that's a shyster. Yeah, uh, but because I. God forbid I guess the same thing as you. You're not allowed to. I'm going to go hard left, and I know this is wrong, but is it? I'm going to say that it's when you sled with your sister. When you and your sister are both on one toboggan, you're the couple of slasters. Is that what it was called? I thought it was called, please hold your, please hold your little sister and don't let her die, is what I was told. It's like, it's going to be a new, yeah. 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 You're gonna slay Could, that ride. I'm I'm so I'm so like confused as to what this. I've never heard this word before. So what what is wait, it? We need to know. Of, what, no, no, wait, 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 wait. What are you doing, Adam? Well, oh what God, part of speech? I want to know if it's a noun or, or a verb or oh, okay. adjective. So it is a noun. Okay. Well, what? then our right. spot-on guests. Then I'm still, keeping s- our still my guess. Yes. Uh, can we hear it in a sentence, please? Yes. Ah, you're a slaster. Okay, I'm still sticking with my answer then. And I mean, I could be too. You're <laughs> such, uh, you're oh. such a slaster. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change my, I'm gonna say gobshite. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What about a liar though? Because slander. <gasps> Ooh. Uh, well, go- I'm gobshite. Say, I'm gonna say that you're, you're. I'm gonna say you're such a liar. Well, Which go- is also gobshite a is like, like yeah, gobshite lying, like talking up. Yeah, you're not allowed nonsense. to guess. What are you doing? <laughs> Oh, go, go to your oh room. My God. Go to one of your rooms right it's now. All, it's, all, it's, all, it's all coming out and in the, the last, e- last episode. I've been Shut holding your camera it off. <laughs> you think about what you've done. You think about what you've You're done. You're a slave. Face the wall. Just face the corner. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, a, a bully? I Can you... This is very similar to when Jack just basically said, but "Adam is Adam muckle. is muckle." <laughs> we, we were like, 
I feel like we need more color so, to that I sentence. I don't think we do. I think that I gave, finally for once, had some good guesses and we're going with this. I have, okay, I have a question. What is a environment in which you would call somebody a slayster? Around the dinner table. A shyster, like a liar. Oh, no. Like a... Uh, uh, a, 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 a Somebody um, like rude or like who doesn't like, have like someone manners? dribble the, they're covered in food they're a slaver oh, a slaver it's slaver Adam is now honing in on the yes why is Adam doing oh. anything if you're oh this is great <laughs> wait hold on I as somebody who whenever I eat a dessert gets it all over me I'm oh going to go God. ahead and say that it means that you're a slob. You are a slaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah and it is when an I was at my granny's and I was eating her stovies, I'd get them all down here and she would go, oh, Adam, you're a slaster. Look at you. You're a slaster. I love that. Yeah. You're uh, dribbling, you're I getting your food everywhere, you're out. messy, you're a slaster. That's a great word. Yeah. I should have hung on to the fact that you had said from the beginning that the, one of the first times you remember hearing it was your grandmother saying it, being like, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's your grandmother telling you that you're a hot mess. Yeah, you're a hot, you're a <laughs> And I say it now, like, I'll say, oh, if I drop it, I'll go, fucking slaster. You know, it's still there. Um, That's, again, Natalie and I walking down the streets of Chicago <laughs> with American accents, talking just, Scots. Just talking <laughs> Scots with some, some harsh American yeah. accents. Some very cool American accent. That's right. (laughs) All right, back to the episode. So that aside, keeping Scotland in the forefront of our minds, why have you come here today? Well... I, when I spoke to you about the kind of history and kind of subject that I wanted to talk about, the one that really screamed at me was the Highland Clearances, because okay. nobody really knows that much about it. People have heard the maybe phrase mm-hmm. about the, the Highland Clearances, but I never heard it until I was 25, I think I was, when I first heard the phrase Highland Clearances, which is amazing. because. That is- I grew up in it. I grew up surrounded by it, you know? Mm-hmm. I grew up surrounded by these bleak, empty spaces, and it never occurred to me why it was so bleak and why it was so empty. Yeah. And then I had to come down to Edinburgh. This is after I'd been to London and trained as an actor. I ended up doing a play at the Traverse in Edinburgh called Among Unbroken Hearts, which was written by a Wick writer called Henry Adam. And it was a beautiful, beautiful play. It it ended up doing really, really well. Toured Britain and the Highlands, and we ended up taking to Germany. It was at the Bush in London for a few weeks and was number one critic's choice, which was amazing for a play that was in thick Caithness dialect. For it to succeed on a London stage was incredible. But the poetry of it and the the heart of it was, was... was incredible and it was about basically about a kind of a poet young poet from the highlands who left years ago for the bright lights of the city and sadly found the kind of dark comfort of heroin which is you know the among broken hearts wasn't the first play to talk about heroin and how towns and villages and industrial parts of scotland ended up using heroin but that was the, the this young boy Ray's story and so the play opens with him returning home to inherit his granny's 
croft and for those of you who don't know a croft is like a small holding like a small area of land with a cottage and he turn he returns uh, with his fellow junkie and pal neil from the city who was a who was born and bred in the city so it's all new for him and so he inherits this cottage and he hooks up with his old mentor uh, and father figure, uh, a guy called Chamig, who is a crofter, a man of the land, but he was a poet as well. And he raised saddened to find out that Chamig has lost his sight, uh, which just seems harsh for, for a man. For a, He looked up to Chamig, like Chamig was a giant, a big bear of a man. So it's, a, it's an awakening. This play is a bit of, a, a bit of an awakening. And... One of the scenes in the play, and this is the first time I explored what Highland Clearances meant, Chamig Neil, I've actually got it here because I thought I'd read it for you, this, this wee bit, but uh -huh. Neil is sitting there in the croft, we're having a whiskey in the, in the play, and Neil's talking about how beautiful it is and how bleak it is, and he's using lots of city terms, and Chamig just wants to kind of teach him what the Highlands is really about. And so I just thought I'd read this wee bit uh -huh. for you. So Neil says, aye, it's just a landscape, is it? It's just, everything's so bleak. I couldn't have believed, I better put my glasses on for this. Um, <laughs> I couldn't have losing my sight, like Chamig himself. He said, aye, there's a real change, like you're crossing a border, all the houses empty, deserted, no roofs or doors, just weeds go growing through the floorboards. It's really beautiful at the same time though, is it not? It's beautiful, it's funny. And then there's a silence. And Chamig says, and did you see ghosts, Neil? And before I do this speech, just something about the Caithness dialect. Caithness dialect is a peculiar one, and for most people are central belted out of their nuts. They've heard yeah. Glasgow and Edinburgh, but Scotland has as many regional accents, if not more, than England. And yeah. the Caithness dialect is a particular dialect. Orkney is another one. But this one in this speech, you'll see there's no this, there's no THs don't exist. The wow. is eh, that is at, there is er, there's mannies and wifies and shoppies and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'll, um, if you get lost in the words, I'll let you know. But he says, and did you see ghosts, Neil? Neil says, ghosts? What ghosts? Hey, ghosts. And this is what this is about, the Highland Clearances. Hey, ghosts. Oh, men and women at once worked that land. A ghosts away bairns that walked barefoot through a mountains with a smell of burning thatch still clinging to their clothes. A ghosts to a happy land, torn apart by greed and avarice of them that were entrusted to look after it. Oh, it's full of ghosts, Neil. Fae Kildonan till Clive, it's a haunted land. Take em up till Bad Bay, sometime, Raymond. Show me beaches they clustered on. A caves they were forced to make their home. Show them where they starved. My mother's mother came that way. My father's family too. You think it was long ago, but it wasn't long ago. It feels just like yesterday till me. And it's still going on. Then I think it's no. They leave and they never come back. They belong here. Their names tell yat. All the Guns and the Sinklers and the Swansons and Sutherlands, they belong here. But foots that they'll stay here for, answer me that. They canna fish, they canna firm, they canna even get jobs selling wham tap to the fucking tourists. 
You want to stay here or you get a job in plutonium. Plutonium. Is that no something? Is that no a brave new world we've built? I've seen fit they've done. I may be blind, but I've seen. They started with crofters 150 years ago, and now it's eternal ships, and he steel, and he coal. You look at a Highlands Neil and you think it's beautiful. Well, it's not beautiful. It's a prophecy. You're living in a land we dispossessed, and a dispossessed have nothing, not even a voice. Christ, and if you had a voice, if you had a voice that could scream and shout and scream again, they wouldn't hear you. They wouldn't hear. So that speech by Chamig was the first time that I made any connection to the land that I'd grown up in and how bleak and how empty it was to hear Chamig's words. And I started exploring, finally. And I remember being at a, 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 a part in a, a place called Helmsdale, which is close there. And I remember bumping into some American tourists up a hill once where there's the remnants of an old graveyard. And these American tourists went, why would somebody build a graveyard in the middle of nowhere? And I was like, well, because this wasn't the middle of nowhere. There was lots of people that lived here, so it was a logical place. It's just yeah. that those people were long cleared. Yeah. So, yeah, so I kind of wanted to talk to you about the clearances. I mean, what they were. And they were basically kind of the starkest example of the utterly destructive corrosive force of power and capital, where human life was expendable in the name of and in the pursuit of power and wealth. I mean, yeah. basically the clearances made Scotland what Scotland is today. Fast sways, empty land, well, other than the central belt, like Edinburgh, you know, Edinburgh, Glasgow, up to Dundee, maybe touching upon Aberdeen, but the rest of it is just empty. And I know yeah. if you look at the map of Scotland, Scotland looks tiny and we refer to it as tiny, oh, it's just a wee thing, but you can drive along that road I was talking about up in the North Coast 500 for 80 miles in one direction. I remember doing this with an old girlfriend of mine one day, I wanted to show her the highlands and I drove west and I started to get a panic attack because I hadn't seen anyone for miles. I was driving, I hadn't seen a house, I hadn't seen a shed, a hut, I hadn't seen another car and I was driving and driving and driving and I thought, See if we break down here, and this was yeah. before the internet and before mobile phones, if I break down here, there's a good chance I could die, you know? <laughs> there's a really good chance that I can't skin a rabbit, I can't like, you know, I was worried. Are there a lot of, are there a lot of like roads or like uh, tracts of road in Scotland where there's this, you know, the classic sign that's like, Get gas. <laughs> yes. Here. Last, so get petrol. Yeah. Last yeah. gas for fifty miles. Last gas for eighty miles. Last. Well, we don't call it gas, obviously. Yeah. Last fuel. Yes. And the other thing about that road I was on was it's a single track, so there's passing places. So you're just yeah. on this single track road, you know. And from America, you're used to these lovely big wide roads, and so you know a thinner road means you need to concentrate more as well. You can't like, <laughs> you know, and you're you're burning in the heather. Yeah. All of that emptiness, and the more I started to explore what that meant and looked at what the population of Scotland is. So Scotland today is 5 million people, which is like lots of other small European countries, you know, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, similar, like about 5 million. But around the world, 200 million people claim Scottish ancestry. Wow. 200 million people 
claim Scottish ancestry. So that's 40 times the, the population of Scotland than it is today. And so I wanted to look at why this kind of long-term process of kind of change happened. And basically the start of it was, yeah, it can be traced to April 16th, 1746, which is the Battle of Culloden. So yeah. after that, after that failed kind of Jacobite uprising, the old clan system, which had been a way of life in the Highlands and Islands for centuries, was kind of, well, it was already under pressure because clan chiefs had started to see themselves less as protectors and great men of clans and more like landlords. You know, they started to inherit this kind of system from down south a little bit. You know, they were, they collected rents. Yeah. And and if they were if they were at all connected to the Jacobites, wouldn't they also be like in terrible debt yeah. at this point? Yes, there was debt of sure of lot. Yeah, there was a lot of debt, but it was you know I often wondered why we had this phrase the Highland clearances because it sounds like almost a bit romantic. I mean, it doesn't sound very nice, but they were just cleared. They were just kind of you know. Clear, yeah. like, as opposed to the Highland yeah. evictions or yeah. the Highland genocide, you yeah. know, or the the yeah. ethnic cleansing. I mean, you know, talk about Yugoslavia and Croatia, like, and looked at what happened there. This was the same. I mean, if you mm -hmm. want a like a how stark it was, and you need a visual image. If you go back to Band Aid in the in the eighties, and you had photos of starving children with bloated bellies, that's what was happening. People yeah. starved. They died. Their children died. Pregnant women died. People just died because they couldn't feed themselves, you know? And that wasn't by accident, you know? Yeah. Uh, yes, there was the potato blight in the kind of mid-1800s, 1840, 1845, there was potato blight, not as brutal as it was in Ireland, but still brutal. Um, yeah. But yeah, so after Clodden, King George II and his Whig government and uh, a guy called Henry Pelham embarked on what we now call you know, would call it uh, ethnic cleansing, you know, uh, even a form of genocide. So there was more than a thousand Jacobites died in the post-battle suppression across the islands. The land was occupied from, f you know, with Fort William and Fort George. Alien roads were built. There was the act of proscription. So, like, the broadsword was banned. Tartan was banned. Speaking Gaelic was obviously banned because Britain and Britishness need to, had arrived in the wild yeah. frontiers of the north and that needed to be stamped in. And so even today you'll hear people say that the best English spoken on this land is in Inverness. Yeah, I've heard that as well. You've heard that? They speak yeah. the best, the most, and that's just the... That was through survival. And that's why we have this thing in Scotland, Adam, and you know we've talked about this before as yeah. big kind of independent supporters, what that issue is with Scotland. We're so ready to just accept the status quo. Yes. Um, and the Highlanders were so, after the Jacobite Rebellion, were so discombobulated and disorientated, you know, because people said, well, why didn't they resist the, the clearances? And there was some resistances, but there was also, it was legal. It wasn't illegal. Yeah. It was supported by the army and the police, uh, you know, not there was police at the time, but then kind of it was supported by the powers that be. So yeah. there was, what were they going to do? Like, who were they going to call? <laughs> you yeah. know? So true. And I remember watching, um, I remember Neil Oliver is a historian mm. on television over here. Oh, he's uh, not a historian. No, he's oh, an yeah, archaeologist who pretends to be a historian. But yeah, yes. but he, he's got, he gets his own TV programme, uh, like one after another after another. And he, I know, and he claimed, he, he actually was talking about the Highland Clearances, but he didn't, he didn't 
refer to them as the Highland Clearances. Oh. He referred to them as mass immigration. Yeah. No, he he referred to it as encouraged. It was encouraged. Yeah. yeah, well, guess what? See if some fucker burned the roof of my house. I'd feel encouraged to leave yeah. as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I know, I, I, and I know that it kind of, you know, having a bit of a, you know, a laugh about it, but it's not about the laugh, it's not laughing about the actual situation, it's laughing at the fact that he has the audacity to get funding from our, like, BBC to tell a blatant lie on television. Yeah. And people just go, all right, okay, yeah. and accept it. Was it called the Highland Clearances while it was happening, or is that like... No, I think it was... Branding the after first, the first... I don't... I'm not 100% on this, um, but the first time that it entered the kind of common lexicon, if you like, uh, that I'm aware of was John Preble's book, The Highland Clearances. So there would have been a time before that, but I don't think it was, na it was called that during that time, because... The people that were uh, executing the clearances believed they were improving the land. Yeah. You know, it was they were improving it. They were making it better. Yeah, you know, replacing the human workers with with sheep. Sheep. Sheep were much more valuable than human beings. So, yeah. yeah. But basically, so the laws are changed. You know, broadswords are legal. Gaelic's legal. Tartan's legal. So that's a, that's not just like that's cruel. That's not just going. Listen economically we need your land we're sorry but fucking keep your tart and that's okay no it was about a way of just going this is ours you're worthless it was yeah. racism basically you know um they, yeah. they viewed the kelt as less than and we still i and it's funny i've had conversations with people that oh, don't, don't talk about that it's history you know it's history but it's, like, it's important history you yeah. know and we still have it today i remember it as a manifestation of where this kind of comes from today, like I remember, so I was in, where Adam and I met, I was in a series, a regular in a series up here called River City for five years. And I'd, so on the street, people would recognise me and often two people would come up and they would go, one of them was a fan and the other one obviously didn't recognise me and they'd sit off to the side. Uh, and the one fan was going, oh, I love you, another saying, oh my God, and what's going to happen here? And what's going to happen? You're looking for tidbits. And, and the other friend, and then she would eventually introduce her friend and go, she doesn't watch River City. Why? Because she couldn't handle the accents. Yeah. Can this you imagine? Scottish. I know, I know. An American going, yeah, I don't watch American stuff. I, you know, I just don't want to hear the accent, man. You know, <laughs> just, uh, no, man, it makes me cringe. You know, it's like... <laughs> Where Scottish people have that thing in them, we don't. The Scot it's called the Scottish cringe. You know, we don't yeah. want to hear that. Dates all the way back to this. It does. I, I read the book, and it was written by an American. I can't remember. Maybe Kathleen can check this. It's called the the Scottish Enlightenment, and he traces it back to when it happened, and it was Bonnie Prince Charlie's failure, and all the everything that happened post uh, that endeavour. And it coincides with the clans getting broken up, the tartan getting broken up, the Gaelic getting stopped, and the subjugation that was just kind of enforced and ultimately accepted. And that is something which is, it can be traced back to that particular point in Scottish history. And so all of this, what you're talking about, I think feeds into this acceptance of the status quo that what you're saying now there's there is a there is a we are very scots are very very quick to rip themselves before anyone else it's like we get in there first if mm. you're going to say something if you're going to if you're going to come in and say something negative i'll say something even more negative 
<laughs> and that trumps you, so fuck yeah. you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you just end up like having these conversations that are quite bleak. Yeah, it's like, you think you can hurt me? Well, yeah. look what I can do to myself. Yeah, yeah, you know? And there's a, there's a humour to that, and there's a... There's, there's some merit in that, but it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy, and it's, it's become something that has, I maybe in terms of where we are today, kind of politically, in, in terms of self-determination, it, it is doing more harm than good. Yeah. You know, it really is. Um, because, yeah, you know, you ask any other nation in the world, like, hey, you want to be, like, independent? You want to be free? You want to, like, stand on your own two feet? Most of them would go, what? And yeah. no bullets fired, no bloodshed, no... Yeah, just, yeah. would you want it? And 55% of the population say no. Like, that tells you all there is. That's all you need to know. Like, they were offered it. Like, there you go. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe our captors should remain in charge. They seem to know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of, so yeah. Uh, right, listen, can we, um, can we just stop for a sec and check in specifically on your Scottish accent. Oh, I thought you just wanted to know how I was doing today. I thought it was going to be a nice polite exchange where I don't feel less than <laughs> for my failures and my shortcomings. <laughs> but that's not what this podcast is about. That's not. That's that's a private voice note. That's a voice note later, oh. okay? <laughs> how is it how is it coming along? You've been practicing every day, I assume. Uh, you know me just Every now and then now, at least in a voice note to you, I will say something with a bad Scottish accent so that at least I'm trying between between Absolutely. episodes. But that's not, it's, I will see. We'll see if I'm Irish. We'll see if, I don't know, maybe I'll be Russian today. <laughs> well, we've got Kathleen back. Hello, Kathleen. Hi. So um, what's the sentence that you have today so. for, for that? It's a really great film from 1995. Uh, frighteningly, a lot of the fashion trends from it are returning. Uh, so this is going to be a quote from Clueless, which is, In conclusion, may I please remind you, it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Oh my God, that is a long sentence. You're a long sentence. Wow. I think I'd struggle <laughs> to say that in a Scottish accent. The Scots are always talking about the Statue of Liberty, so this should be It'll so be easy. I mean, well, I got RSVP, are. you can try four different letters. Oh, good. It'll be good. good. Fantastic. I've got faith in you. Thank you. Great. Some some of you guys might know Clueless as a modern adaptation of Emma. Yes. Uh, I'm just, I'm just playing for time. In conclusion, may I please remind you that it didn't say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. That wasn't that horrible. Was <laughs> that Adam Robertson answer. does not agree. <laughs> In con- See, the first part, I was like, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then halfway through, I was like, whoa. <laughs> Oh, I felt like it felt like a slow motion car crash. Like, <laughs> I could just hear the the crunch of the metal. Like <laughs> we've gotten oh. pretty good at me being able to say the first three words of things. Yeah, you were into. I thought oh, she's got this nailed, and then uh, yeah, you came in pretty yeah. confident. Go, what what do you think, Ads? I think that. So I I've, obviously I've heard every. Every attempt. Oh, that's true. He's watched and every car crash. 
<laughs> and you know, I'd, I I think it's getting much better. Yep. There's lots to that, lots to that that you should be proud of. I tried to take a couple notes. I glottalized just some of it because turns out if you glottalize all of Statue of Liberty, it sounds like garbage. Statue of Liberty. Statue of Liberty. Yeah, every time I did it, it I it was weirder Statue if I of Liberty. If yeah, I, I don't say of, I just say it like a it's like ah, st- yeah. Statue of Liberty. I just make you guys think really hard about your own accent. <laughs> yeah. And then you just then I'm like, how do I I think speak? what we've learned is that like Whatever I eventually have is like a slide into a Scottish accent. I think I've kind of gotten like a darker L down because last week I said lesbian, right? Apparently. And then everything else was <laughs> a mess. Congratulations on that. No, but, I always um, get lesbians, right? It's fine. I think we have, we've got a good foundation to build on. And at the end of season two... Um, I think you'll be at least halfway there. Maybe a quarter. Who knows? <laughs> you'll definitely be able to hold a candle to Mel Gibson by the end of season two. <laughs> there you go. And that's and he made a film, a whole film. He won an Oscar. That well, is, there you go. Let's, that you know, is true. What more acclaim do you need? What more validation do you be need? Be like Mel Gibson? No. Than a golden no. baldy man on your <laughs> mantelpiece. Yeah. No, be like no, the, the takeaway from this is not. entire discussion <laughs> is not be more like Mel Gibson. <laughs> Let, hey, let's know. all be let's all be better than Mel Gibson. Be more barber. Yeah. Let's all be more barber. Yeah. Uh, well, just I really wanted to nail it for you guys on this finale, but here we are. Here we are, a train wreck. But at least not in Ireland. Exactly. I think it's it's not so much a step forward. It's more like a little shuffle to the left, maybe maybe a little <laughs> stagger back, and then a little step then. to the right, and then did you put your hands on your hips and bring your knees yeah. in tight? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. Great. We're we're doing fine. Back to the episode. But listen, so like there, there was two phases because I first I thought, oh, it's the it was just the Highland Clearance. It was a hundred years or one hundred ten years roughly, and it was just yeah, fucking brutal. And it was the English, and they came in, and they, and it's obviously it's a bit more complex and nuanced than that. So there was the first phase, which they refer to more as kind of relocation as opposed to eviction, where they, um. They wanted to move people around, basically, like kind of chess pieces. So they didn't want rid of them because they needed the crofters for labour, you know. Mm-hmm. So they moved them to the coasts, you know, and they forced, they did evict them. They moved them from where they were living and they made up crofts, which were these little small holdings with with shared grazing lands. And then some of them were pushed to the coast. So some of them who had been crofting maybe for centuries were told, go and learn how to fish. So you had people who had never seen the sea suddenly having to go out in a boat and learn how to fucking fish, you know? There was no manual. They couldn't Google how to do it. They had to just go and drown, which many of them did, you know? Um, But, uh, yeah, so they were kind of... It was forced. It was, yeah, they viewed it more as relocation. So that phase, that first phase, was from 1760 up until about 1815 was that kind of first phase. But then phase two, which is the brutal one, was 1815 up to about 1860, and that was the aggressive start uh, and the 
population of Scotland was rising then, after the wartime industry started collapsing, and the lairds and the landlords started the process of evicting people from the land so that more animals could be moved in, because more animals, more profit. Yeah. And some of the evictees were assisted in their eviction, and that's where you get the kind of Neil Oliver thing going, well, they were assisted, you know, and they were helped, and sometimes the landlords did go, well, look, you know, we, we need to get you off the land, so here's a wee bit of cash, get in the boat, um, and off you go and help colonise Canada or Australia or, you know, so that's where the assistance, so yeah, it wasn't, not everyone was burned out of their homes, not everyone was, there was some of that, but it was still. I'm going to, I'm going to make the assumption it was the people who were like, I'm not leaving, mm. I'm not going anywhere. They're the ones that got helped, yeah. in your quotes. You know, if you chose to go, you went, if you didn't, well, then your home was burned down and you were left to fend for your lives, you know, yeah. so it's a hell, or starved to death. So those were your choices, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that just as many people who were actually given, given a little bit of cash and quote unquote assisted, uh, were also just, there was also probably a lot of people who were assisted onto ships and carriages and whatnot. They were unconscious at the time, but they were assisted yeah. aboard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you so the like the main reason was economic, but there was also a, a, and I was wary of using this phrase, but I listened to a podcast with uh, Sir Tom Devine, who's very good on the clearances. That's kind of a speciality, and he said no, there was some, and he's very canny in terms of you know he's as as far as you could get from being a a nationalist, I think. But he said, no, there was some rampant racism involved as well. There was, you know, newspaper articles down south at the time talking about the Celt, you know, and how they were just basically the lowest of the low. You know, that mm -hmm. there was, so there was blatant discrimination, racism against Catholic Highlanders, the, the Celt, you know, they believed they were inferior, that they couldn't fend for themselves. And these were the people that, uh, in your other podcast, that lovely one I listened to about the Picts, these were descendants of the Picts. They were, they yeah. were sturdy people. You know, they could, left to their own devices, they could survive. By God, they survived in the harshest of harsh environments. They, yeah. they could do it, but, you know, give them a bloody chance. Um, but they were viewed as just, you know. But that's the narrative, though, Adam. Like, it has been historically. It's, you know, we, everyone else... I mean, even in, even in the jokes that we tell, it's always the Scot, the Irish, or the Welsh who are either stupid, or you know, it's and the English, the English man is always the one who's got either the the smarmy punchline. Do you know? That's literally the whole narrative of colonization everywhere. Is it's yeah. it's. It's saying, oh, we're doing them a favor. We're helping them out. They're, they're, they couldn't possibly survive. And it's like, they've been fucking su surviving for centuries before you even, in the case of America, before you found it, before yeah. you even accidentally thought you were here. Yeah. <laughs> they've been, and just saying like, but, but like, oh, the, the, we're doing su them such a favor those poor wee by Celts. moving them around, yeah. 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 Well, she actually, the most famous part of the Highland Clearances that people have heard, uh, often heard a wee bit about, 
happened in Sutherland. And Southern, it's often called Caithness and Sutherland, which is the, the, those two counties. Caithness is where I'm from, and Sutherland is kind of shouldering it on the east coast there. So you drive through Sutherland, and Sutherland was called Sutherland because when the Vikings came, that was the kind of furthest south they would travel. So they called it the Southland, the Sutherlands. So it was uh, hence the name Sutherland. But when you drive north, as I have done many times, I could do it in my sleep now, as somebody who's lived in London for all those years, and now I've lived in Glasgow, and I constantly go home to see my parents and surf. I drive up the <laughs> A9. In that order. <laughs> in that order. Uh, I drive up the A9, and you drive through, through the cleared lands. But one of the uh, most famous is a town called Golsby. And as you drive through Golsby, there is a mountain called Ben Braggy. And at the top of Ben Braggy is this 150-foot statue of a guy called The Manny. They call him The Manny. Remember I said the wifey, the manny, the shoppy, yeah. they put wise in the end of the manny. And it's the only time that I give my uh, young children a swearing pass. So we drive past and I go, kids, it's The Manny. And the kids go, two Vs and like, fuck you, you know? <laughs> And this Manny locally, like, is in, people are encouraged to bring their dogs and relieve themselves on that statue. It's been, it's a, it's a, uh, it's much controversy. They wanted to take it down and they were like, no, we should leave it up because it reminds us what happened. That statue is the Duke of Sutherland, a man who put that statue there or, um, I don't know, it was shortly before he was dying and he got his croft, the, the remainder of his tenant farmers uh, to, to pay for that statue. He just couldn't make it up, wow. you know, wow. to, to, to honour the lands in which he had cleared. But yeah, you know, so yeah, so this is the part. So this part is the most famous part. So 1785, Lady Elizabeth Sutherland, uh, the Countess of Sutherland, the landowner for about... No relation to Donald or Kiefer? No, I hope not. No, well, oh God, Sutherland, you know, there, there's always some good in with the bad. Let's just say that. There's some good in with the bad. But anyway, so she owned about half of all of Sutherland, you know, which is bonkers. To, you know, and we still have that today. That's a hangover in Scotland. 433 yeah. people own more than half of Scotland. It's just bonkers, I mean, you know. It's feudal it and it is just ridiculous, you know. But yeah, so she married a man called George Granville Levison Gower, who became the Duke of Sutherland, and it's him that's above on Ben Braggy. Now, the first of their clearances or their, you know, improving the lands uh, started in 1807. So she believed that the lands were overpopulated. There's just too many people, uh, too many crofters. I mean, you know, and she wanted rid of these people. Um, the wool had skyrocketed the price of wool. Um, and she thought, this is brilliant, we can capitalise on that, get rid of the filthy human beings, put loads of cheviot sheep there, because they're sturdy uh, New Zealand sheep. It was time to take advantage. So the first clearances was in Lairg, which is another place you kind of drive through if you're heading up to Thurzo. 300 Highlanders were moved from there, some of which decided to emigrate. But she, that was the dichotomy as well is she wanted them moved but she still was at that point going well but we need to keep some of them i don't know how you are some i don't of know them how you to take care of the sheep i don't know how you do the pr with that like you know like listen we're fucking putting you out your house but don't go too far because you know 
we need some yeah. labor. You know, it's just... We could change our mind later. It's just uh, amazing. But anyway, so 1809, and this is the guy, the, ba- the one of the baddies. And if you've ever seen the, the amazing play, The Cheevy at the Stag and the Black Black Oil, this guy gets a good kind of leading role in it. It's a guy called Patrick Seller. There was a, a double act, William Young and Patrick Seller, who went to Lady Sutherland and said, hey, you need people cleared? We're the guys to do it. And so they kind of rented their services out as factors. Two men in a truck. Two men, and they, uh, yeah, they said that they could get instant results. That was the quote. We could get instant results. So 1811, they're in charge now, and at Ascent, uh, A-S-S-Y-N-T, in 1812, that was their first clearance. There was some riots, but, you know, they, they kind of overcovered that. And, and um, Lady Sutherland, when she heard about the riots, was shocked. She said... Uh, she was shocked to hear about the riots as she believed these displaced people should see them losing their homes and land as a positive thing. <laughs> it's, like, it's a positive thing. I mean, come on, look at the opportunity. I, I mean, as somebody who feels like for the last 18 months, I've just only cleaned my house but not had anyone in it. I mean, think of like so much less chores if you if you're kicked out. So much less laundry to do because all you have is what you're wearing. Yeah, I mean, it's that's an opportunity. A, that's a PR slant that she yeah you she, just spin it. Used. Yeah, but listen. So this bit, I I went and looked up the actual kind of testimony. There was a guy called Donald McLeod who wrote in the paper back then about what happened on this particular case, which was when somebody was burned out of their, well, somebody died. Uh, So this was, you can read about this on abandonedcommunities.co.uk. So this one that Patrick Seller was involved in. Forced evictions began on Monday the 13th of June, 1818. A posse of four law officers and 20 men went from one clacken to another, removing anyone still inside their home, and then setting fire to each house to make it impossible for it to be reoccupied. Patrick Seller guided and supervised their work. A general account of these events was later given by the stonemason Donald MacLeod. Ah, yeah, so that was this is his account uh, mentioned earlier. His report might be exaggerated, but I'm willing to accept that it contains a good deal of truth. He wrote, Many deaths ensued from alarm, fatigue and cold. Some old men took to the woods and precipices, wandering about in a state approaching to or of absolute insanity, and several of them in this situation lived on a few days. Pregnant women were taken with premature labour and several children died. To these events I was an eyewitness. One of the houses whose burning was witnessed by MacLeod was occupied by a tinker by the name of William Chisholm. So tinkers and cotters were like a hangover from the clan system and they were people that didn't, basically people that didn't have many possessions. So they were kind of lowest rung of a very low strata, if you like. So a tinker by the name of William Chisholm. When the posse arrived, Chisholm's elderly bedridden mother-in-law was still lying inside. Donald MacLeod informed Seller that she was too ill to move. According to MacLeod, the reply was, Damn her, the old witch. She has lived too long. Let her burn. On being carried from the house in singed blankets, Chisholm's mother cried out, God receive my soul. What fire is this about me? She did not speak again 
and died five days later. So that chapter is probably the most kind of, that tells the story, you know, of what it was like. So, yeah. you know, I know we've been having a kind of laugh and a joke here and we ha you have to, it's the only way you can kind of cope with some of the, the brutality of it. But those, that, that old woman's words, you know, what fire yeah. is this about me? Like she's an old woman entitled to live out. She might not have lived that long anyway. Uh -huh. And to just be, to damn her, let the witch burn is just like, that's the kind of thing you would write in a movie, you know, if they were making a movie and they would go, oh, that's a bit, you know. It's a bit much. Yeah, yeah, come on, would you really say that? That was the account, the eyewitness testimony of, of Donald McLeod. So after that debacle, you would think, because this word of this got out, and so Sellers was taken to, did go to court. A, a local officer, Robert McKidd, who tried to do the right thing, took him to court, uh, and he was acquitted, obviously, because the jury were mostly landowners, mostly, you know, officers of the law and what have you. And so, and loads of people, those kind of people wrote good character testimonies for Patrick Seller. You know, like, yeah, you know, maybe he does burn people out of their homes, but, you know, he, he plays a damn fine fiddle. Well, and it's his, yeah. his pitch, like his whole pitch of instant results. You hear instant results and you're like, oh, okay, he's just planning on murdering people. Like instant results of culling the population or is this murder yes you know yeah like this so brutal heavy i mean heavy-handed within yeah like that's what i mean if you wrote it down you would go oh, it's, it's a bit much you know and you'd almost not believe it so where but anyway he did eventually he was acquitted so he didn't go to jail like he should have done but he was sacked, so he was no longer a factor. But then the guys that took over were a guy called Francis Souther and James Loch, and they they really went to town. They really built on. They they read. They must have read. Um, you know, Sellers' guidebook. Sellers' guidebook. You know, like this is this is how to <laughs> yeah. how to improve the land in three easy steps. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fire, yeah. brimstone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then there was. Uh, so that was 1818 to 1820. So just so we some figures. 1818, 220 families in Sutherland in total were cleared. In 1819, that number rose to 425 families. And then 1820, 522 families were displaced. So Francis Sutherland, 1819, continued to use fire to drive people from their homes. Very effective. And this include this... Yeah, I'm going to read a wee poem at the end by a, a local playwright called George Gunn. And that year... Uh, the year of 1819 is infamous. They called it the year of the burnings because it happened to coincide with quite a dry summer. Oh and so that's why that line in Chamig's speech where he says, with the smell of burning thatch still clinging to their clothes, that, you know, really, that kind of paints the picture. Yeah. So 89 was the year of the burning. Sutherland clearances effectively ended at 1821. There was small scale evictions after that, but the the main thrust of it was kind of complete by 1820. So yeah, the effects are still seen today when you drive up there and like when I met, bumped into those American tourists who were like, oh, I wonder, hey, why have they put a graveyard here? You know, like that's, that's visible. You can see it, you know, really. Yeah. So to give you some, a reference, I suppose, so a third of the population of the Scottish Highlands lives in Inverness, which is, they call it the capital of the Highlands. It's kind of the gateway to the real North. A third of the Highland population lives there, 140,000 people. And the population of Scotland is 5 million. 
So that highland population is now nothing. It's a drop in the wow. ocean. And there used to be 300,000 people in the highlands. Yeah. So back in 18, the 1800s, late 1700s, 1800s, there was 300,000 people. And today, in 2021, there's 140,000. So that was a very effective campaign that we've never recovered from. You could take, as George Gunn said to me once, you could take the population of Hong Kong, drop them in a part of Sutherland and never see them. That's how much land, empty land there is, that is now privately owned and used for grouse shooting, deer hunting, that's yeah. not accessible to the populace, really, you know. And that's today. So, like, this is, I know this, we're talking about history, but this history is very, very much real. Yeah. The Isle of Skye, the population of the Isle of Skye used to be 50,000. Today, 9,000. Yeah. No? It's like, uh, I remember, I, I can't remember, he was, I think he's a local poet, saying that the, the children on the islands seem to be bred for immigration. It's like as soon as they're born on the islands, they're just off. They're, yeah. They go to the mainland, they go like to the big, you know, the cities like Glasgow, Edinburgh, but even down here, you know, it's like they don't stay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the living example of it. Like, I, yeah. le I, I left, I, I kind of had to leave. I mean, some people do stay, but... So many do. Today, still, it's like, just get the fuck out. Uh, there's a gr great film, Leslie Riddick, who's an amazing journalist, broadcaster up here and writer of many books. She wrote a book called Blossom, and she's a big kind of Nordic-ophile, scandophile. And she's made some films, but she made one about the Faroe Islands. Now, the Faroe Islands are very like the Hebrides. You know, mm -hmm. there's scattered little islands, but they, because they're an independent country have built tunnels from all of these islands, you know? So they're all connected. So you can live yeah. anywhere in them. Whereas we are constantly here about the ferries getting canceled, the weather's too harsh. Yeah. These islands get isolated, they get cut off. People just leave them. Whereas in Pharaohs, loads of people stay. They just get yeah. retained. The labor force gets retained, the talent gets retained. And we still have this like, yeah, just, you know, young people get out. And that's, it's a real shame. It's the bright lights, isn't it? It's like where you're living isn't good enough, really. So, I mean, like, even when I was at drama school in Scotland, I was kind of told on the sly, yeah, you need to get to London. Mm. You, can't, you can't be an actor in Scotland. Yeah. And you're like, wow, what is that? Mm. And it's not until you've left Scotland and you realise what an absolute load of old bollocks that is. <laughs> totally, yeah. But so the end of it now, just to finish it off. So the end of the clearance officially kind of stopped late 19th century. They, event, they introduced the Crofting Act, uh, or the Crofters Holding Act, which was 1886. And that came about because of what happened in Skye. So there was finally some resistance in Skye. It was known as the Battle of the Braes. The Battle of the Braes, where they sent over, they were clearing the land, and they resisted, and it was a lot of the women that resisted. The women took up rocks and stones, and they sent over 50 police from Glasgow to go in with the fucking size nines and the, the batons, and they did. Women got beaten, guys, some of them got imprisoned. But there was a an English travelling kind of, I think he was an archaeologist or whatever, he saw this, and he reported it back to London, and it made the headlines in London. And that's 
when it started to change. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, there's brutality up there in the Highlands. Yes, I heard about the, these young women and ladies with sticks and stones are getting battered. What are we, a third world country? <laughs> and suddenly it was like, we need to check in with this. And then 1886, they passed the Crofters Holding Act and then they had security of tenure. So they couldn't be moved. They could not, no longer be cleared. There was some recourse. They yeah. found ways around it eventually, but there was that was the first like no. If you're a crofter, you've got some some recourse now and some kind of way of staying. You know, kind of lucky that the they're kind of lucky that the English took it that way uh, instead of because it could have just just as easily been like wow look the ladies the the women of the Highlands are savages with their sticks and their stones yeah. and they could it could have they could have veered the other direction. They could so. have yeah. yeah, but the witness probably. Maybe the witness was quite, I don't know, influential. Yeah. If, the, if this English architect, maybe, yeah. maybe they would have been, well, that's not what I told you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But like, so, um, yeah, so they were given security a tenure by the act, but like we've just discussed, emigration just kept going and still continues today. Spend north, northeast, northwest of Scotland. And after the First World War, it escalated across the country so that in 1920s, about 363,000 Scots left for the USA and Canada alone in search of a better life, including one Mary Ann MacLeod from Tong. And do you know who Mary Ann MacLeod from Tong near Stornoway is? No. She's the mother of a man with an orange face known as Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, go. It could have been it's so just, different if she stayed. You just like you know, this is so much wrong has come from these clearances. You know, <laughs> just think uh, the, the what we could have avoided. But yeah, so just some last numbers for people because I know people like Lumbers, eighteen eleven to eighteen twenty. Uh, the t period I was just talking about in Sutherland, fifteen thousand people were removed from the land owned by the. Duke and Duchess of Sutherland uh, to make room for 200,000 sheep. I was going to say, I want to see the side-by-side -side, uh, graph of like people population yeah. to 15, sheep 15,000 people, 200,000 sheep. Yeah. Um, and the total number of people cleared during that period of clearances were 150,000. 150,000 Highlanders uh, and Islanders. Highlanders and Islanders. Brutally. Were, were cleared. So, yeah. 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 What do we think the sheep population is up there now? There's a I lot tried of sheep. googling it. Oh it my just god! Said, it just said there's a lot of sheep. There's a lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there is a lot. Uh, when you drive, you see sheep after sheep. When you're surfing, and some of the beaches that I surf in along the west coast are quite remote, and you'll often be in there and see sheep dotted along the along the cliffs, and you're like, how the hell did you get there? Yeah. Like they're often they're canny climbers. You know, they get themselves into all kinds of tricky spots. But listen, I'll just read you. So George Gunn, who I'd like to credit because he also is as an educator of mine. He's a poet and playwright. He's an old, wise man from Thurzo, an incredible man, uh, written, God, hundreds of plays and novels and books. And he's been someone like a mentor that's helped me connect with my land that I knew nothing about because we never got taught Scottish history. Nothing, you know, when we were growing up. No Vikings, World Wars, Romans, yeah. nothing about Scotland. I, I, I was going to say, do you remember getting taught about the Highland Clearances? No, no we didn't. And that's not accidental. No, I know. 
Because I, I genuinely cannot remember anything about it. And if, I, and if it was taught, it was taught in such a diluted way, it did not engage us. No. Because we should really... That, that's, a, that's a very, very important part of Scottish history that mm-hmm. is people shrug off as nothing. Yes. So important that we know about this stuff, you know. And I know, like, my kids now, so my two boys, they go to a Gaelic school here in Glasgow. So there's no wee girl. They do get taught, you know, Scottish yeah. history, and that's amazing. They, you know, it's Robert the Bruce, and um, I don't know if they'll do the clearances, if that'll come up, but, you know, they'll hear it from me. Um, but <laughs> the fact that it's on the curriculum now, and it wasn't for us, and, and you know, because we're talking about history here, but see what a memory I have. So I went to high school in Thurzo, and people get bussed in from the village's west and east of Thurzo, mm-hmm. the school buses would bring people in. And west of Thurzo is what they call Duich Vikai, which is Gaelic for Mackay country. And there was a guy called Kevin Mackay. And I remember him getting ridiculed in class one day by an English teacher who was Scottish, our Scottish English teacher. And Kevin was getting ridiculed because he spoke to us in Gaelic. Wow. And he was ri- humiliated. Like in front of the, t- the teacher was like, "What you? Nobody speaks that, boy. Come on, just like you know, speaking that. I think he called it drivel. Stop driveling." And oh I was God. like, I "Fucking blew my mind." Like you know, I didn't at the time. At the time, I, I, at the time, I probably laughed at it. I probably thought it was funny. And I look back at that now, and I go, "That's that's the remnants of all of that brutality, you know, yeah. still existing in people." He was Scottish, that teacher. Yeah. And there he was ridiculing one of the pupils he's entrusted to nur- nurture and enrich. And mm-hmm. there he was humiliating him for speaking his native tongue. Yeah. And, 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 and there's also another hangover of that, uh, Adam, uh, which is, I mean, I don't know if you ever got this, but when I was in, if you were, if you were in a, a class and you happened to slip into a Dundonian phrase, for instance, if I'd said, oh, I've done again to, to, the, to the teacher, and she'd say, oh, no, no, it's I don't know, speak properly. Now, the word speak properly, properly. when oh. you're a kid, when you, saying the word properly, it, it diminishes the way you speak and makes you feel inferior. And I remember every time a teacher said to me, speak properly, I would think of my family. And I remember sitting there, and I think I was in my primary four, primary five, which would have made me about, I don't know, uh, seven, and being like, my family don't speak properly. And I remember thinking that about my own family yeah. and feeling that we, that we were all less. Yeah, you were substandard. Yeah. You know, you were substandard. You had work to do. You were not cut out to be, uh, have a station in life. You were, mm-hmm. you know, that's the message. And it's the message that per- permeates today. It's still prevalent. We still feel mm-hmm. it. And that's why 50%, if you keep banging on it up, 55% <laughs> of us go, no, we do not want to be independent. We are happy being ruled by fat Bullingdon club elites who have no compassion or connection to humanity at all. Uh, that is basically the best we can hope for. that's it that's it that's why that's it but listen so I'll finish with George Gunn's poem called Heron Um, Mm -hmm. and I read this he first gave this to me for a seminar thing we did a few years ago we're raising money for for refugees and uh, I thought it was very pertinent and that's another reason why Scotland is so welcoming and Scotland Scottish people are so welcoming is because we 
remember somewhere in our DNA what it was like to be a refugee, you know, yeah. to travel, to be, to need refuge, you know. And this is called Heron. You are grey in your flight over the Uli. Like the geometry of slate, you manage effortlessly your ancient swing. The river, brown in its frothing laugh, hoots and slaps down to Helmsdale. Great bird of my imagination, will we ever stop smelling the smoke? And how it too poured down here that week of the burnings, blown out to sea in an aristocratic choke. And how a ship was lost in it, blind in tragedy's fog. And how she waited until night and was guided to the shore by the glowing thatch forge of 500 fires. Heron, you will taste the fish again here in this autumn by your thin fields, your red iron-roofed cottages, snug like prisoners in a photograph of an old war, and those other dwellings which did not make it, and whose rounded stones lie in the useless jumble time gave as its pattern to the silence tongue. Heron, the wind blows now smoke of a different nature. Heron, the sea now has become too alluring. She matches you colour for colour. She is washing the back and face of this resplendent little country. But she is raging. She is raging and the years won't alter her voice. Heron, she will whisper to you of her endless harvest that knows no season or springtime. She will give to you the drum code of her percussive reason. She will sing to you, bird of Strath Uli, great free one of the empty place. She will sing to you and meet your eye. So be calm now, my slate bird, for your wings are at their maximum stretch and you pull the sky behind you like a sheet. Did your friend the gull not tell you of the green song of the sea, of the white music of its chorus? Did she tell you of the yellow golden sand and the taste of the salt waves kiss? Oh, Heron, she must have done, because you take me to that other place where the dream's result is kept in the house of winter. Did she not show to you of how our suicide friend, the stone man, how he still stands upon his plinth, did she not tell you the perfect graph of oppression's placing? Note it well as you fly how his back is to this strath, and the many others like it whose spirits animals graze on dust and echoes, and how his face faces the sea where countless gales went to taste the sour whisky of a bad deal, and whose only promise was that in the big sleep they pay no rent. Heron, note it well. So that poem perfectly encapsulates that wow. story, the burnings, the, the thatched forge. Yeah. And the Duke of Sutherland up there, you know, facing the sea with his back to the land mm, yeah. that he cleared, his back to the people he burned and you know, a beauty, like beautiful, and and really, really paints the picture of everything that you've just spoken about. Aye, I thought it was a good way to finish. Yeah. A bit of poetry. <laughs> we need poetry. There's been prose and poetry. It's been, and, yeah, it's been very enriching <laughs> I mean, tonight. You're fairly put on, put on a wee show there, Ad. <laughs> <laughs> it's been well, amazing. 
is in my blood, dear sir, as you well know. <laughs> I know. Uh, like, should we be should we be calling your agent? <laughs> I feel like we need to pay you for this. I feel like we need it. <laughs> yeah, we do it for the joy, Adam. We do it for the joy. I mean, you do it for the exposure. Exposure really pays the bills. Oh, it yeah. really does. I've oh, just God, like yeah. I, it's when I yeah I phoned my landlord the other day and said, look, I've got a check here. How many exposures do you want? <laughs> Yeah. Sounds like something completely different. Mm. Oh, so it does, yes. Yeah. How many times do I need to expose myself to you before my rent is expunged? Uh, yes. <laughs> that has been that has been a really I mean it's it's a it's a it's a moment in Scottish history that I know about and I've 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 looked into myself, but every single time someone else talks about it, I hear and, and find out new things. So it just shows what a complex time. It is in Scotland's history and has just been painted over. Uh, and uh, it's only when yourself and, uh, and other people who, who know about it talk about it and keep it alive. I think that's, uh, yeah, I just think it's really important. Mm. It is. It's why in Scotland is what it is today as the result of that period of history. You know, mm -hmm. it's that it's that dark, you know. Yeah. And you can you can draw so many parallels to to other cultures basically being wiped out by by communities coming in, by colonizers coming in to in America all the exclusion acts of just now we've decided we can't have any Japanese people on the west coast so like we're going to go go through and and put our own people in essentially concentration camps but the, there's something and I guess that's why it had me thinking about the Japanese exclusion was because it is kind of your own people kicking you out or enslaving or assisting you in, yeah. Uh, yeah. in, in immigration, yeah. encouraging immigration. Like it's, it's your neighbors. It's not some force from far away. Yeah. It's yes, literally it was. your yeah. neighbors. Yeah, they weren't, nobody invaded, you know, like... There wasn't an alien force that came in and decided to take over. These were their former clan chiefs and former lairds, and you know that that. Uh, it's people who know you, people who look like you, people who like were part of your community, and then also the English. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just I like I you know what mindset would you have to have to be Patrick Seller to have. The job each day you and William Young, you go out onto the, the moors and the straths and you burn people out of their homes. And when you discover that there's somebody inside who's infirm, you say, well, they've lived too long. Yeah. You know, let the, let the witch burn. I mean, like, that. It's, I, I don't have a part of my brain that can relate to that, you know? No. It's like... But it's then your so... man, the, your, your man who, um, the manny, you know, like, let's, let's put up, let's put up a statue. I mean, that's, I that's probably the, the, the definition of sociopathic. Oh, I know. Psychopathic. I've done such a good job. I think I deserve a statue. Yeah. 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 That's, I was going to say, that's the source of a lot of statues in America. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, that's it, isn't it? Well, I mean, we could put the statues up for the wrong people. Yeah, and we make the people who they subjugated pay for them. Yeah. The, so Patrick Seller was Scottish, 
he was. He like, was, yeah. The amount of self-loathing that you have to have oh. to like, yeah, well, take and that Scots job. Are quite good yeah. at that. And when he, so he became a, a when he was sacked, he became a sheep farmer. <laughs> you know, I mean, he would have been, he would have had land, or you know, he would have been owed land from the Duke and Duchess anyway. But yeah, he was a sheep farmer after that. Went about his days quite Just, happily. Wow. Not a care in the world. So mm. long, all of my neighbours and kin. Thanks yeah. for all the sheep. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's bonkers, but that's... I didn't realise that this is something that you guys didn't... Because it makes sense, like, <laughs> we don't learn anything in America. Yeah. Uh, mm. I didn't realise that this is... So, that the Highland Clearances were something that wouldn't... You guys wouldn't have learned yourself no. in primary. I mean, I, I, I mean, we should have maybe asked Emma when she was on last, uh, last time, but... I'm if they are now, sure. if it's like on the curriculum now, yeah, just to see if it, it even gets touched That's a good on. Question: I must find the answer to that myself. Yeah, but I remember. So a few years ago, they finally did a revival of the Chevy at the Stag and the Black Black Oil with yes. seven eighty four play that toured in the seventies to great acclaim. It smashed, uh, you know, village halls all over Scotland. Incredible piece of work uh, that talks about the clearances, the Chevy, the sheep. Um, the stag and then the black black oil you know the so it looks at the all the way through how scotland has been used and abused and i was in it was premiered the the opening night was in dundee at, uh, in adam's home town yeah. and i went up for that and there was a great q a afterwards and people stood and clapped and cheered it was amazing and there was a woman in the audience that asked the director joe douglas Douglas. He's, uh, he's going to be on a. He's going to be a guest. Soon. Oh, we'll get him to talk about that play because yeah. it was amazing. I mean, I wrote to him after that. I just, I very rarely write to a director. I very rarely see, sadly, something that's worth writing to a director about. Yeah. But I did write to him about that, and I just said, I hope this play tours and tours and tours. But there was a woman that stood up, and she said, um. She was an old lady and she said, the next time there's a referendum, will you put this play on again? <laughs> uh, and I remember thinking, you know, the reason we lost that referendum is because it's been 20 years since this play was done. Yeah. And in any self-respecting nation, this play would be part of the national curriculum. Yeah. It would be performed in schools and high schools and village halls every year. In Ireland... All Sean O'Casey's plays and yeah, they're being done all the time. Yeah. You know, they celebrate their own work. We, you know, twenty years since that play was done, that play should be everybody should know the Cheviot. They should be able to quote the Cheviot, the Stag yeah. and the Black Black Oil. And we might get to see it in another ten years. Who knows? You know, that's the country we're living in. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we're not doing much better over here. <laughs> If Things that makes you feel any better. <laughs> literally well, having a We can debate. all be shite together. <laughs> yeah. Ad, thank you so much for coming on because, and, and, it's, and as I say, it was like this poetry and prose and a really in-depth and very interesting narrative of what's happened in Scotland. So thank you so oh, much. Well, thanks for having me on. No, thank it's you. Great. It's funny, I made a joke at the beginning about how this is it this is the last episode because we're we've covered all of we've covered all of the scottish history and this is in fact the season one finale but <gasps> dun, dun, you dun. heard that right it's the season 
one finale, <laughs> meaning that there will be other seasons. <laughs> so thanks for thanks to all of our listeners and everyone for joining us on this this first what started as perhaps a just limited series, an experiment, if you will. But Adam and I are going to keep on keep, keep on, on doing it. <laughs> I'm going to keep on only only knowing American history, which is funny because I hate American history. <laughs> That's what I bring to the table. Other Adam, Adam Robertson. Where can our listeners find more of your work? More about your many, many businesses, Mr. Entrepreneur, or anything that you would want to share social handles, etc. for? Just, uh, I suppose, adamrobertson.com is a good place to catch me. And my Instagram, which I'm pretty new to, is adamrobertson09, which means there was eight other Adam Robertsons who got there before <laughs> me. Bastards. Um, but, yeah, uh, so there. And I think it's adamrobertson9 on Twitter as well, so those. Adam Robertson 9 yeah catch me there I'll, I'm usually I'm pretty chatty I kind of keep keep people informed of what I'm up to most of the time Lovely. you gotta get that exposure oh you need that exposure without it we will <laughs> die and like dwindle away shrivel yes oh, yeah. all my exposure I know you can find us as always and during our little between season break we're gonna take a little breaky poo because Adam McNamara is busy and he's booked and busy um and so am i but like his are more impressive <laughs> you can find out more about us uh we will still be chatty during our between season break we are at under the kilt pod on instagram and twitter you can email us and tell us what clan you think you're a part of Americans at <laughs> under the kilt pod at gmail.com. That's, that's, that's it kids. That's, that's season one. We did it. Oh yeah. We made it. Adam, <laughs> take us out. Oh my God. Everyone until season two, stay breezy. This episode of Under the Kilt was edited and produced by Kathleen Mueller-Mason. Original theme by Tyler Collins, aka 2-Meter Man. Additional music by Gareth Spin. Original art by Sarah Cruz. Thank you again to our guest, Adam Robertson, and to the girls at Shared History. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.